so fast. It's already the third week of January. Parang kaka-Christmas pa lang. My, one of my niece, si Chloe, she's 12 years old, sabi niya, time flies like a mosquito. <laughs> sabi niya, uh, ang bilis ng oras. No? Imagine, a 12-year-old, nararamdaman niya na, na mabilis yung time. But we praise God that all of us are here. And I pray that as we have our message today, I invite you to lay aside your concerns, your worries for the coming week, for tomorrow. Just lay it aside and let's focus our eyes on the cross, on the Lord today. My name is Pastor Genesis Stan and on behalf of our church, we'd like to welcome all of you to our service and I pray that you will find a spiritual home in CBCP. We are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians entitled, Jesus is the Answer. Last week, we learned one major problem in the Corinthian church. There were divisions and factions. There were those who were loyal to the Apostle Paul who founded the Corinthian church. And there were others who were diehard fans of Apollos and the Apostle Peter. Apollos was highly educated and a talented preacher, very familiar with, with the Greek culture. But then Peter is the one who was origi- one of the original 12 disciples who followed Christ. And she was conservative as a Jewish person. And as Pastor Nathan shared with us last week, the church in Corinth was so blessed. And they had this privilege of being pastored by three of the best pastors during their time. Apollos... Peter, and Paul. But sadly, that blessing turned into a problem. The believers in Corinth are divided and they were fighting over who's the best preacher and best leader for them. Now, if you think about it, what's the root cause of this comparison? What is the heart of the problem? You see, the heart of the problem is pride and ego. It's pride and ego. Now, think about it. Why do we compare ourselves? Of course, there are good points to that. We compare ourselves to others so that we know how we can improve. O kaya niya pala, or maybe that's also a possibility for me. That's a good side of comparison. But the bad side of comparison is this. Sometimes we do it to boost our ego. We want to make ourselves feel superior. I earn more money than you. Therefore, I'm smarter. My wife or my girlfriend is more beautiful than yours. Therefore, I'm more attractive. I have more possessions, and most likely that means I'm more competent than you. That's the danger of boosting our pride and ego when we make that comparison, because all we want is to make us feel important. And that is the same thing that happens in the Corinthian church. Every faction wants to make themselves feel superior, so they have this proxy war using their leaders. They compare their leaders to elevate themselves at the expense of the unity of the church. They say, my pastor is better than yours, my leader is better than yours. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving and honoring our pastors. The Bible calls us to do that. There's nothing wrong with admiring our leaders for their excellent and great examples. But when we start comparing themselves to boost our ego, it becomes harmful and destructive. So that is why we need to be careful. And so the Apostle Paul rebukes them for this pointless comparison. And to solve this problem, he then 
points the church back to the message of the cross. And that is what we're going to look at today. Now, let me read to you this passage starting from verse 17. And let's just reflect on these words. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of God. Now, what is the message of the cross? The message of the cross is simple. The message of the cross calls us to follow the crucified Christ. And this is our main lesson today. The message of the cross calls us to follow the crucified Christ. And now let us unpack this truth and reflect on our text. Let's look at the simplicity of the cross, the scandal, and the significance of the cross. The first, the simplicity of the cross. Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, Corinth is a center of philosophical activities and intellectual discussion. Bible scholars say that there were about 50 parties, philosophical parties within that city. And add to that, there were traveling teachers and preachers called sophists. They would lecture and debate in the halls, in the marketplaces, with various topics on religion, education, economics, and politics, and other social issues. And they would charge a fee whenever they do this. And the more popular the preacher or the teacher, the greater the fee would be. But Paul intentionally avoided doing this kind of thing. He said, I preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom. Now you may ask, is Paul anti-philosophy? Is Paul anti-being uh, uh, intellectual? Not really. Because back in Acts chapter 17, Paul debated with the philosophers of Athens. And he shows us, when you read through that passage, he shows us that Paul understands everything that these pagan philosophers thought. And Paul systematically goes through them point by point and arguing how the gospel message answers their questions. And Paul uses the gospel to refute their positions. And also, Paul, when you look at the writing of the Corinthians, of, of First and Second Corinthians is a very beautiful text. Even the Bible scholars were amazed. It's well written, carefully, and beautiful crafted. In the in the Greek original text, some of the verses have exact number of lines, two lines or four lines, and even the syllables were counted exactly, and they were rhyming at the end. So it's a very beautiful passage, well written. So the point is, Paul is a creative writer and an eloquent debater. But Paul, here in the, gospel, 
here, when he presented the gospel to the Corinthian church, he said, I am not preaching the gospel with words of eloquent wisdom. He means, my preaching is not to draw people to myself. I am pointing people to Christ. I am not the message. I am only the messenger. Friends, think about it. Do you have the same intention at, and the same mindset and the same motivation at, as Paul? Whenever we go to church, are we more focused on the messenger or the message? Are we following certain speakers or are we hungry li- really for the word spoken by God? Today, we live in a culture that values entertainment and celebrities. And the church, sadly, is greatly influenced by this reality. Sadly, many churches today rely more on marketing gimmicks to attract people through complicated uh, sounds like music, marketing strategies. And many pastors also and leaders pour much energy to pour and to present themselves as school personalities on stage, to be eloquent, entertaining, and inspiring. And the result, many churches have lost their focus on the main thing. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we stop being excellent in doing ministry. Of course, we need pastors and preachers who prepare well and teach us well just like our Lord Jesus Christ, the master teacher. And of course, we want to use the best equipment available, and we need excellent praise and worship teams and servants of the Lord to lead us as we sing songs of praise, as we minister, as we worship, because the God that we worship is the one who deserves and worthy of our best. But in doing these things, let us remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And what is that? It's the gospel message. The main thing as followers of Christ and us as a church is the gospel message. And what is the center of the gospel message? It is the cross. It is Christ. And God calls us to do ministry focusing on the Lord himself only. Verse 18 tells us, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, it's the cross that has the power to save. It's the gospel message that has the power to transform. Not gimmicks, not human methods. Now, we're often tempted to think that if a famous person or a famous Christian personality, they could make significant contribution to the gospel, but not necessarily. It is the cross that has the power to save. It is the gospel message that has the power to transform lives. Now imagine with me, Taylor Swift. I'm not sure if she's a believer or not. Some say she is. But imagine with me, Taylor Swift is a devoted follower of Christ. And she started preaching the gospel every time uh, she does the uh, tour. The question is, will she add more power to the gospel? Yes or no? What do you think? Will she add more power to the gospel? Some would say yes. Yes, she may have more influence on the people, especially the Swifties. Sino dito mga Swifties? <laughs> she may influence the Swifties, but her personality and talent won't necessarily increase the power of the gospel. Why? Because the power of the gospel is not on a person, it's on God. It does not rest on any person, but the power of the gospel rests on God. 
Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the gospel is the power of God. And so what's the implication of that? The gospel message pre- uh, preached by a famous person has the same power with the gospel message preached by an ordinary high school student shared to her roommate or classmate. It is the same power, God's transforming power. And that is an encouragement for all of us. You may say, Pastor, I, uh, I'm just a new Christian. I don't know how to share the gospel. You just do it. You just share it because the power of the gospel does not rest on you. It rests on God. We don't have to have formal trainings, however important it is, but we can share the gospel. So whether you are formally trained or not, we can do it and God can use us. It's like unleashing a lion. Just unleash it and it will do its work. That is the power of God. Now what is the message of the cross? This message of the cross is simple. God in human flesh died on the cross and paid the penalty for the sins of the world. By faith in that act and in his resurrection, you and I can be saved and our eternal destiny is secured in heaven forever. That's the good news. It's a simple message. A holy God became man to die, to pay the penalty of sins, to satisfy the wrath of God so that a holy God and sinful man can be reconciled. That's the love of God. That's the good news of the cross. That is simple, but that message is not easy to accept. And that points us to our next point, the scandal of the cross. Verse 18 to 19. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise and where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now let me jump on verse 22. It says, For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. The key verse in this text is in verse 22 and 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. The word stumbling block in the Greek word is, is the word scandal. It is scandalous. It is offensive. The cross is offensive to the Jews and it is foolish to the Gentiles. Why? It says the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. You see, the Jews demand signs. In the Jewish mindset, they were expecting a Messiah, a powerful king who would set up his kingdom and defeat the Roman government, the Roman Empire. And they were expecting that this Messiah would eventually lead the Jewish people to regain the kingdom of David. They want to be a powerful nation again. And for the Jews, this is their picture of the Messiah. So when they heard about the cross and they saw Jesus Christ, initially they were, they were amazed of his miracles. They want Jesus feeding the 5,000 healing the sick, commanding demons. They were in awe. But then eventually, Christ died on a cross. So for them, it's just another fad that, that faded away. He's not the Messiah. He cannot be because the cross, in addition to their mindset, the cross is also something that is not acceptable because for them, someone who is 
nailed on the cross is cursed by God. So how can Jesus be the Messiah if he is a person cursed by God? It doesn't make sense. Now, as for the Greeks, they had this powerful tradition of honoring their leaders. Every year, they would recite poetic orations to recall the heroes of their nations, those fallen champions who have sacrificed their lives to protect their city-state. They remember the war heroes. So every year, they would recite these poetic orations. And now, for the Greeks, they were ready to accept a champion who died to make to make a difference in the, core, in the course of a nation. And they compared to Jesus Christ, who was crucified and died a criminal's death. They could not reconcile it. When they look at their heroes, they did something great. They sacrificed their lives for the nation. But when they look at Christ, they, Christ died for nothing. He did not accomplish something significant. So in the Greek's eyes, it's a, it's a stupid waste. In the Greek considered dying in the cro- uh, on the cross also as shameful and it accomplishes nothing. And add to that, the Greeks seek wisdom. They love wisdom. They even personify the wisdom. They call it Sophia. The Greeks spoke about which uh, wisdom aid they prided themselves on knowledge, in knowledge. They believe that through human wisdom, they can explain the meaning of life. And also, Add to that is the context in which the Greeks had this idea that their gods were powerful, were prideful, were violent, capricious, and they threw tantrums. And the the gods that they worship also expressed the same lust that they have. Lust for power, lust for sexual pleasure, lust for the good things in life. And they had to appease them. So the idea of a god, a powerful god who would humble himself to give his life for people is insane. Because in, them, in their mind, the people live for the gods. The gods do not live for people. That's their mindset. And so the message of the cross is offensive. For the Jews, they expect power. And the Greeks, they expect wisdom. But what they saw in the cross is weakness and foolishness. So imagine the temptation that Paul faces as he presents the gospel to these people. Imagine Paul's temptation to fit, to form fit, to present Jesus in a way that fits like the heroes of the Greek mindset. But Paul held his ground with boldness and conviction. He did not hide the nature of Jesus' death and the message of his life. Bravely, Paul reminded us that he had only one subject, and that is the crucified Christ. Today, the message of the cross is also offensive to us and our culture. Why? For two reasons. First, we live in a culture that has a different expectation. The cross does not fit in the culture's expectation. And here are some of the world's values, and it has some overlap. The world says, be great and successful. Get high grades, graduate from a prestigious school, be accomplished in your profession, build a big business, make a lot of money. The world says be popular, make a name for yourself, be liked, be enjoyed, be admired by many people, have many followers. The world says avoid suffering and failure, pursue pleasure and enjoy as much as possible, protect yourselves from pain at all costs. And what's the motivation for all of this? It's living for self. 
Now, I'm not saying that we can pursue good things in life. These are good blessings that God wanted, wanted us to have. But we need to be careful. What is our motivation? Who are we pursuing? Ultimately, we have to be careful not to live for self. And now the cross shows us a different value, the opposite one. It's the exact opposite. The message of the cross calls us to follow the crucified Christ. Instead of being great, Christ models to us to be last and to serve. Instead of being popular, Christ shows us, calls us to be humble. Instead of being successful for ourselves, Christ calls us to be faithful, to be good stewards of what he has given us. Instead of avoiding suffering and failure, Christ calls us to endure and embrace suffering and failure. And ultimately, the motivation for this is dying to self, loving God and others. Brothers and sisters, think about your life. Where are you right now? Can we show again the slide, please? Thank you. Where are you more prone? Where are you more tempted to pursue? Is it greatness, popularity, success, or avoiding suffering? And what is God inviting you today to consider and to surrender and to follow Christ? Is God calling you to, to be humble, to be faithful, to embrace suffering and be last and serve? I pray that this chart will not just pass through our eyes and our ears. I, I pray that we would really reflect and take this to heart. Because that is the call of God to us. God calls us to follow the crucified Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones obtained his medical degree from the University of London and became a member of the Royal College of Physicians. At age 22, he worked as an assistant to Sir Thomas Horder, who is already the prominent royal physician at that time. Dr. Horder is the personal doctor to King George V and eventually uh, King George VI. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones is his assistant. So Dr. Jones had a very promising career. He is already part of that special group that provides medical, medical care for the British royal family. So imagine the opportunities that he has. And he has a lot of medical degrees also by age 24 and 25. But by age 28, he left his medical profession to pursue theological studies, enter the ministry, and become a preacher. And after completing his theological training, he served in a small Methodist town in South Wales. And in 1939, at age 40, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was called to minister in Westminster Chapel in London, where he served for the next 30 years of his life until he retired until age 70. In the eyes of the world, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was foolish. What he did was nonsense. Why give up a prestigious career? Why give up an opportunity to go ahead in life? A very promising career. It's a waste of time and opportunity. But in the eyes of God, he has done well, a good and faithful servant. Now, not many of us are called to be pastors, preachers, missionaries. But many of us are called to be full-time parents, to work as professionals in the private sector, in the government, to work as a business people, to work in nonprofit organizations. But whatever your calling is, this is God calls to us. 
He calls us to embrace the cross and follow the crucified Christ. Not to pursue greatness, not to pursue popularity, but to be humble but, and to serve. Not to be successful, but to be faithful and to be a good steward. Now the question is, will you embrace that calling? Will you embrace the cross of Christ? May the Lord help us. Next, the cross is offensive because it also highlights humanity's helplessness. Humanity's helplessness. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross highlights our helplessness. What is the biggest problem in our world today? Ano sa tingin niyo? What's the biggest problem of the world today? I tried to Google it. Ano kaya ang answer ni Google? Some say it's poverty. It's sickness or war. Some say it's environmental disaster or conflicts or economic concerns. Some say it's breaking down of family and society. Yes, these are significant problems today. But the Bible tells us that our real problem is sin and death. Sin and death. Now, some may, re- some may deny the reality of sin, but no one can deny the reality of death. And we can summarize these major concerns under the category of death. Poverty, conflict, disaster, destruction, sickness, all of these are facets of death. And who has solved this problem? We're already in the 21st century and none has solved this problem. We have advanced technologies, advanced knowledge and information. We live in a time of greater prosperity than those of previous centuries, but still no one has solved the problem of death. Why? Because we don't have the capacity to solve it. Our intellect, our morality, our money, our power, our status, our prestige cannot save us from death and decay. We are helpless. We are hopeless. And that is what the cross highlights. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can and that is why the cross is so offensive to the world, because it steps on our human pride. It highlights our helplessness. Humanity says, we don't need God. We are masters of our destiny. We are the architects of our lives. We can achieve anything with our intelligence and reason. We just have to tap into our inner power and believe in ourselves and tap into our inner consciousness. That is the claim of the world. But the cross says otherwise. You're wrong. You need God. You're not the masters of your destiny. You're not the architects of your lives. Carl Sagan or Carl Sagan wrote this book, The Pale Blue Dot. It is based on this photo taken by Voyager 1 on February 14, 1990. So focus on that dot pointed by the arrow. As the spacecraft Voyager was departing towards the edge, edge of the universe of our solar system, it turned around for one last time to look at Earth. And this was taken four billion miles away. And Earth appears as a tiny point of light, only 0.12 pixel in size. And here is what Carl Sagan said. Listen to what he says. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. And, in, and on it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you have heard of, Every human being who was and who live out their lives, the aggregates of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, 
every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king, every peasant, every young people, couple in love, every mother and father, every hopeful child, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species live on that, on that dot, on that mote of dust suspended on a sunbeam. Everything that we have is just compressed in that small dot. And Carl Sagan continues, you see our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale of light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark, in obscurity in all its vastness. There's no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. And he said, it has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration than the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. You see, what is his point? Carl Sagan was correct in saying that humanity was conceited and de delusional. We feel that we are the masters of the universe. We feel that we are so knowledgeable and so, and so great. We're so big and so important. But that Reality was dispelled by this fact that we are so small and insignificant. But Carl Sagan got one thing wrong. He said, in obscurity, all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. He was wrong because help already came. He was unaware. Help already came. God made a way to save us. That leads us to our third point the significance of the cross. God came to save us. He made a way through the cross. And God uses the cross to save those who believe. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You see, God knows that we are headed for destruction. So God made a way to save us. Our creator God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save us from sin, ourselves, and our pride. Jesus Christ became human like us to live as we were meant to live and to die the death that each of us deserves to pay the penalty of sin, to fully receive the wrath of God, and to rise out, out of that grave conquering the ultimate enemy, sin and death. But here's the key. Not everyone will be saved. Only those who? Only those who believe. Only those who embrace the cross. Only those who are humble enough to say, God, I cannot help myself. I cannot save myself. Please help me. Dear brothers and sisters, what is your heart's cry is your heart crying, I can do these things. I can save myself. I don't need God. Or are you the one crying, Lord, help me. Jesus, have mercy on me. A sinner who needs you and your salvation. You see, in the eyes of God, there are only two kinds of people. Those headed for destruction and those headed for salvation. There is no middle ground. If you believe what God has done for you through the cross, if you receive it by faith, then you have eternal life. 
But if you reject the cross, if you deny what God is giving you, I'm sorry to say this, but you are already on your way to eternal death. It's just a matter of time. Again, the question is, which group do you belong to? Do you belong to those who believe on the cross or those who reject it? Are you on your way to life or on your, on your way to death? The last. God uses the cross to shame the wise and powerful. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? But to those who are called both Greeks and Jews, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In verse 19, the Apostle Paul quoted Isaiah chapter 29, which speaks specifically about religious cleverness and wisdom. Now, every world religion apart from the true biblical Christianity is driven by performance. It says, worldly religion says, if you perform enough, if you are good enough, if you are moral enough, if you strive enough, you can be acceptable to God. But the cross destroys that illusion. The cross shows us that salvation is an undeserved gift. We can only receive it. You see, salvation is not something that we could earn or work for. It is a gift that we can receive. And just like any other gift, if it's offered to you, you can receive it with joy or you can reject it and say, no, thank you. The cross gives us this free gift. It means that a simple, uneducated, untalented, and clumsy person who has trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior and faithfully and humbly follows the Lord is immeasurably wiser than a brilliant PhD who scoffs at the gospel. Someone who has lived an immoral life but believed in Jesus and turned away from a life of sin is more acceptable than God who tries to please God by her own piety or immorality. Brothers and sisters, the cross, the gospel, shows us that we need this gift. The question is, are you willing to receive it? The Bible says we lost it all, but Christ paid it all so that we get it all. We, have, we cannot do anything. We can only receive God's gift. But again, the cross is foolishness to those who are wise and powerful and proud. Here in verse 20, Paul mentions the scribes, referring to the intellectual Jewish religious experts, and the debater, referring to those sophisticated and brilliant Greek philosophers. And he said, where is the wise? Where are those scribes and debaters? These wise people say, these proud people say, the cross is an instrument of death. How can it bring about life? The cross is weakness and humiliation. How can it show power? But that is precisely what God calls us to consider. That is what precisely God, God did. God used the cross to shame the wise and the powerful. God used an instrument of death to defeat death. God used the weakness and humiliation of the cross to display his power. How? Through the death and resurrection of his son, God conquered the ultimate enemy, sin and death. And that is the wisdom of God. That is the power of God. When Christ died on the cross, that is the most, um, one of the greatest failure of history in terms of 
man's perspective. But that became the turning point and the greatest event in history for the salvation of mankind. The cross as an instrument of suffering and shame became a symbol of God's redemptive and transformative power contrasting with human expectations and understanding. And as a result, God shows us that his foolishness is wiser than our wisdom and his weakness is stronger than our strength. Now let me close. The message of the cross calls us to follow the crucified Christ. Again, dear brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are in your journey right now. Perhaps you face the temptation to follow the standard of this world, to pursue greatness, popularity, success, to avoid suffering and failure, and only to live for yourself. Perhaps you are pressured to give in to the expectation of the culture in the way you do your work and even in the way that we do ministry. Or maybe you are tempted to take pride in your knowledge, intellect, abilities, morality, or even spirituality. But the cross calls us otherwise. I pray that you will not forget your calling. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by embracing the cross, by following the crucified Christ. Remember, Christ calls you to follow Jesus. We are Christians. We are little Christ. We are followers of the crucified Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to serve and became last. He came in weakness and humility and was faithful unto death. He embraced suffering and he died to himself so that those of us who would believe in him will have eternal life and that we could be saved. May all of us embrace the calling of the cross. May all of us with humility embrace the cross of Christ and display the wisdom of God and the power of God in our lives for his glory. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus for showing us your greatness and your power through the cross. Lord, we may not fully understand how that makes sense, but we pray, O oh God, that you give us the wisdom, the strength to honor you and follow you and to live a life that is worthy of our calling. Help us to focus our eyes on Jesus. You, O oh Lord, that... Jesus Christ, you are the God who created us. You are the God who gave us life. But you also, you're the God who came to save us. You humbled yourself. You being equal with God, did not consider equality with God, but became human like us. You became last and served and you sacrificed your life, you became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And so that because of what you have done, God elevated you in that highest place and gave you the name that is above every name. And in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are worthy, that you 
deserve everything that we have. Help us, O oh God, to focus on these things, to pursue you, to love you, and give up loving ourselves more than you. Be with us, O oh God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's some discussion questions that you can think about. Let's use this time to, to reflect and ask God's Spirit how can we apply what we've learned today in our lives? Spend a few minutes and prayerfully and considerably ask the Lord, Lord, how can you help me? Please help me to follow you. What specific steps you want me to take starting the day? <laughs>